It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to the show and what a big week it is ahead of the Open as I welcome Australian Golf Media Manager Martin Blake. Great to have you, Blakey. Hello, Tiff. And Where is the uh, our, our co-host? Mark Allen is practising his ski turns on the ski fields. It is winter, of course. Uh, we'll be welcoming Marco back next week. But as I said, all of our attention is on the running of the 150th celebration of of the Open Championship at St Andrews, the home of golf in Scotland. We have 11 Aussies competing for the famous Claret Jug Blakey and one of those, Victorian professional Manny Griffin, will be joining us a little later in the show. Looking forward to chatting to him and checking out just his views and describing the atmosphere and, and just giving us a, an inside feel and, and listen to uh, what it is all about with the Open starting uh, later this uh, this week on Thursday afternoon. Is it the best week in golf? Absolutely. It's right in the in the ballpark. I mean, it, it probably is to many, many people. I know that I'm getting excited, Tiff. I, I know that overnight we're recording this on a Tuesday and last night they had the celebration of champions and there's some photos come through and some videos this morning and there's Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus standing on the Swilkin Bridge. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. No. I mean, they had women. In it, in the celebration of champions, they had all abilities players. Yeah. Dame Laura Davies played, uh, Georgia Hall played, and uh, obviously Tiger and Jack. Nick Faldo's team won that event, which is just, uh, you know, it's a part of the, the celebrations. No Greg Norman, no, of course. No Greg, no. He's, uh, he's labelled um, the RNA petty. And, then, and they've said, look, you know, it's all about the celebration. And we feel that if we have Greg Norman here, who's obviously entitled to, in essence, and that he is a two-time winner of the Open um, for him to go. But they said, look, not this time because of all the distraction of the live. Yeah. Look, it's a really, it's a really difficult situation, this one, because as a past winner, he's a, a twice winner of the Open, uh, you know, he's entitled to an invitation, I think, and uh, I think it's disappointing that he wasn't invited, but I can understand where they're coming from, and ultimately it's their call. Um, his attack is not on the RNA, it's on the PJ Tour and the, and mm. the DP World Tour, so, um, you know, there's that aspect. But having said that, he has a history with the RNA well, he that did is say, not particularly good. He did say that he thought the RNA would stand out, would would not sort of buy into it. But uh, anyway. So he's got a history there, Tiff, just to go back in, you know, over a watch sponsorship, you know, they, they're Rolex uh, sponsored. He, he has, a, you know, Omega. Um, you know, he was asked to not play in a pro-am at a, at a senior open in, in the UK once because he, you know, he was backed by, by another company. Uh, you know, he asked if he could, you know, he wanted to play in the open this year. He's 67 years old. His eligibility has gone. Even mm. as a past winner, he's not yep. eligible. Uh, I think that they probably thought that he might make it into a bit of a circus, but uh, I'm well, not so at, sure about that. But uh, I would think it would be the media interest, the fact that he's there, the fact that take away from oh, absolutely. There's no doubt it would take away. And I mean, I love watching him play. I, you know, he's I grew up watching him, and he's the champion that he is. 
uh, what's been happening with the the live tour. Obviously, we've talked about it, and uh, and we know you know about it. There's no one probably listening here that doesn't know what it's all about. But they don't want the focus to be about that. They want the focus to be about this 150th celebration, and, and that is understandable. Yeah, because he's just one guy. So you've been to the open. I have 2001 at uh, Royal Lytham and St Anne's, just near a place called Blackpool. And uh, it's in it's in England, it's not in Scotland, but David Duval won that year and it was just, oh, it was just magnificent. It, that, you know, walking out on the course and just following the crowds and soaking up the electricity of of the Open. It was, it was, one, of, it was one of the best days I've had in sport. When I walked through the door, through the, the, through the gate and – and just this electric atmosphere and, you know, everyone there was just a lover of golf and I just got drawn into it. And I'd only been playing probably for a couple of years at that stage. I'd picked up the, up golf later in my life when my uh, I wasn't really welcomed to golf as a, as a young child, as many, you know, women um, haven't been in the past and obviously – that's part of my job to change that, but um, anyway, it was uh, it was a magnificent experience, and so have you. Which it, it one surely did you is. Win? I'm lucky to have been to three. Yeah, wow. Well. Uh, in 2005, I covered the Open when Tiger won at St Andrews, so uh, that is one of the best weeks I've put in as a as a working journalist. I remember I was telling someone this the other day because Tiger dominated; he was well ahead going into the last round, so he won pretty easily. And at the time. You know, he was probably at his, you know, close to his best. But it was also Jack Nicholas's last Open. Jack had said that this is going to be the last one. And uh, when you cover an event like that, you can't be everywhere at the same time. You've got to be across everything. So you go, you might follow someone out on the course or you follow an Aussie or you might follow the leading group, but then you you always have to sort of jet back into the media centre yep. so that you can catch up with what's happening in case you're missing yep. something. So I was going in between and I went back to the media centre and I, I could see that Jack Nicholas was coming up the 18th for the last time. So I bolted out there, had to sort of, wrestle my way through the crowds are about 20 deep going up the 18th at St Andrews watched Jack make a birdie on his last hole uh, at St Andrews you know he stopped on the bridge and had his photo taken on the Swilkin Bridge and you know it's one of the best experiences I'll never forget that did he give any did he give high fives did he he did, did everything he, oh yeah. wow and the, the best thing was he knocked it on the green and then hold the putts so did he give his ball away oh I can't, imagine, can't recall imagine if he did and that was the ball that you grabbed you know we've had a bit of a drought Australia. Absolutely. Um, you know, last win, 1993, Greg Norman. So it'll be 30 years next year if we don't get someone up this year. So let's hope out of the 11. I'll, I'll run through the 11 who are there, Tiff. So it's Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman, Lucas Herbert, Adam Scott, Minwoo Lee, Maddie Griffin, who I'm really looking forward to speak to a bit later yep. in this, this show. Dimi Papadatos, who also, like Maddie, uh, got through the Vic Open, yep. you know, by winning the Vic Open. Jason Scrivener's in the field. Brad Kennedy's in the field, having qualified. Anthony Quayle's in the field for the first time in a British Open. Fantastic for him. And also Jed Morgan, just 21 years of age, as the Order of Merit winner gets into the Open, so he gets a start. 21-year-old, that's pretty pretty impressive at this one, to be celebrating, to be part of the 150th celebrations. Uh, you met, You've got was, some stats there, Tiff, have you? Well, absolutely. Well, we've got – so four Aussies have won the Open, and you mentioned, of course, Greg Norman winning twice. Um, we also have Peter Thompson's won it five times, Ian Baker Finch, and Cal Nagel won it back in yes. 1960 at St Andrews, and it was, in fact, the, the centenary. centenary celebration. I spoke to his uh, granddaughter, Alicia, the other day. She's come up with this great app 
to get more women or more people playing golf, but certainly more women and girls. Um, but uh, you know, there's some there's some uh, some great names in that, and, and obviously Cam Smith is the top Aussie hopeful. Now he has uh, hit form at the right moment. He's just played the Scottish Open in his final round. He hit three under um, to finish in the top 10, tied for 10. He just made the cut after the second day, yes. hit 75. Blustery conditions, hopefully, if that if the wind picks up again, which could quite well do. I don't know what the, what the weather forecast is, but hopefully he's learned Been from hot. that. Yeah. Um, and, and he can uh, play those conditions to his advantage. And also, Adam Scott, you said, no, he's the, the Australian that's played in the most. 21, this is. He's, 21 consecutive, um, this will be. Yeah, amazing. Adam Scott should have won the Open in 2012. This is part of the, the little hoodoo that's been building up. And, of course, Mark Leishman was in a, a playoff in 2015 as well. Um, I would probably fancy Mark Leishman out of all the Australians. Mm-hmm. Having said that, he missed the cut at the Scot- Scottish Open. So I just Leishman just plays well in the wind and on the Lynx courses. You know, he's got a good record in the Open Championship. So uh, I would think that he could go okay this week. I mean, someone like Minwoo Lee or Lucas Herbert could bob up. Scotty, I mean, there, there's plenty of live uh, opportunities uh, for them there. And 14, well, Scriven, Jason Scriven. $14 million the oh. prize pool. US. Thanks very much. Jason Scriven, uh, he hit a final round of 65, I think it was, at the Scottish Open, was the uh, the lowest score for that, for the final day. So he's in, he takes a fair bit of form as well. I mean, you never know. It could just be, you know, a, a player that uh, no one's sort of really thinking, oh, they're all in with a chance, but, you know, they're not a favourite. But uh, he takes great form into the Open on Thursday. Just a fabulous opportunity for people like uh, Matty Griffin, Jed Morgan, you know, Anthony Quayle first time, Brad Kennedy. You know, they'll all take their families there. It's the home of golf. It's a beautiful little town, St Andrews. I've been there. I've been there to St Andrews when there hasn't been a golf tournament there. And describe it's just, it. Well, it's just a. They call it the great old grey tune. You know, it's it's got a lot of church spires. There's a university there which I stayed in. Uh, the the students move out of the university during the open, and they use it as accommodation. So the media accommodation was at the university. It's feeling like something out of Harry Potter. Wow. In what way? Hogwarts. It looks like Hogwarts. You know, it's uh, it's just seven hundred years. Wow. Um, And they have the dining hall and you go down there and you have your breakfast. You walk down to the course. You know, everything's in close. There's no boundary fences on the course. It's open on Sundays. St Andrews is is open to the public on Sundays. So it's a public course. Is it after three o'clock you're allowed to come and have a picnic or is it all day? On Sundays. Yeah? On Sundays. On a Sunday. Yeah. If you go, like in 2005 when I covered it, I went down there on the Monday morning to get some photos. I couldn't believe it. You can just walk anywhere you like. And there people were, yeah, there were people with their well. dogs. Yeah. yeah. People people walking in the road hole bunker. There's, you know, a number of famous holes there. The road hole is probably the number one, you know, the seventeenth hole. There were people standing in that bunker, which is in, amongst golfers it's famous, you know, in itself, as even just as a bunker. So it is absolutely sensational. They're expecting two hundred and ninety thousand people there across the whole week. Dane Heverin is there covering for uh, golf.org.au and pga.org.au if people are looking out for some some coverage. He's he's there on the ground. And what's the uh, what's the usual population of St Andrews? Oh, I'm not too sure. It's only a little village. Yeah. Um, it's it's a bit hard to get a beer at night during <laughs> during an open. I tell you, it's, it's you know, a, if you're an entrepreneur, there's an opportunity. Well, it's not hard, but it just it's packed. You know, it's always just packed. So, uh, 192 Australians have played in the open. 
Um, Jed, Jed Morgan is the 193rd and Anthony Quayle the 194th. So, And uh, a shout-out to Tony Wiebeck, yes. uh, our own Tony Wiebeck, who's done the book Aussies at the Open, published by Australian Golf Digest. That is actually being launched this week. Yeah, $45. And uh, Tony Wiebeck, Steve Kuypert, and I bought a copy for my dad and he he's, like he's loving it. And he's just I just spoke to him this morning on the way to work and he said, now, Tiffy, I've been look, pulled out the book and I've been reading a bit about this and uh, we're all set to – I'm actually going to go and spend a, a few days with him. In fact, we're going to watch the Open together and uh, he's not well, so I'm going to go and spend some time with him and we'll watch the Open over the next four days. Well, maybe it's time to, to get a bit of an on-the-ground uh, – uh, sort of scene setter from St Andrews, do you think? I think it's a great idea. So let's uh, check in with Matty Griffin. Well, Matt, great to have you join us all the way from Scotland. And, of course, uh, St Andrews, I believe you're staying on the course. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, prime location. So uh, fortunate enough to be in the old course hotel and, uh, yeah, living living a life of luxury this week. Living the dream. Can you describe the atmosphere of the town and, and obviously, you know, just all the uh, all the activities that are going on in and around uh, the Open. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. I mean, you, you come here at any any time as a golfer, and uh, St Andrews is always a happening place. But the week of the Open, something different. There's uh, people spilling out of bars and people all around the golf course. And you had yesterday afternoon, we had the uh, the Champions event, and mm. the stands were full. And yeah, it's a it's a real, it's a real buzz here. Matt, did you go and have a look at the Champions event? I saw some really cool photos come through this morning when I came to work of Jack and Tiger standing on the Swilkin Bridge and all sorts of cool stuff. Did you have a look at it? I did, yeah. It was sort of – I was on the range just before they, they got out there and uh, the um, hitting balls next to Gary Player, there were people, lots of the old past champions warming up, so that was a bit of a buzz, and then kind of walked around the – one round 18 and 17 as, as they were sort of out there playing. So it was, uh, yeah, nice to see them see them all out there. And, uh, yeah, it must be a pretty special feeling for, for those guys to be able to do that every when they come to St Andrews. So you played – sorry, you, you go, Martin. So you got into this field by finishing top three at the Vic Open, and you have played an Open before. You played in 2017, but – not at St Andrews. Um, what's that like for you? I know you were very excited at the time. Uh, I remember speaking to you down at 13th Beach when you, you got in. But, um, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, kind of Disneyland for for golfers going and playing in that event. Yet you, I know you, you'll want to be playing well this week. You're not, you don't want to just turn up and play, do you? So, um, you know, how do you kind of push that aside and try to you know, get yourself to play well in an event where there's a lot of external stuff going on. Yeah, I, th- I think it's part, it's just embracing what it is. I mean, for, for a golfer, playing any major is a special, special time, but playing a major at St Andrews in the 150th is, doesn't get much better. So you, you, it's as much as you'd like to tell yourself it's, it's nothing different, it, it is something different. So really just trying to embrace that. But I've been preparing since I knew I was in, 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 at the Vic Open, I've been preparing for for this week, so I hope the work that I've put in will will give me a chance to go out there and, and play my best golf and uh, and hopefully get getting into contention. What does that preparation look like, Matt? What what kind of extra stuff do you have to put in to prepare for this major? Uh, it's just fiddling around with the bag a little bit. So I've got a a longer long iron that I'd normally use a rescue in normal tournament golf, but that's something to 
keep the ball under the wind and get it running on the fairway. And then the, probably the biggest thing with St Andrews that's unique to any course is but with it playing so firm and fast that you're using anything that's within sort of 30, 40 metres of the green, you're generally putting it if it's on the on the short stuff. So, mm. And then the greens are so big. So in a normal tournament week, the maximum putt I've probably got is a 50, 60 footer, whereas here you can have putts that are two, 300 feet type, type thing. So it's just doing a lot of that just to get used to that sort of feel of getting, getting the ball rolling off the putter and, and those big distances. And I presume you've played St Andrews before, Matty? Yes, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to – I played a Lynx trophy here as an amateur and then played four Dunhill Lynx trophies. So I've probably had 12, 13 rounds around here. So I kind of know where where everything is. But playing in those events to, to playing in this where they've let the course really firm up and that is, is quite different. So it's kind of I, – I know how to play it, but it's also getting – getting used to playing in these conditions. Matt, I'd love you to describe, especially to a lot of our new listeners, people who are new to golf, what is it like when you arrive at a major? How are you treated? What's what? Give, take us in from a, a player's perspective. Basically, you've got every, everything that you need is here. We're playing in, in the regular Japan Tour events. You, you pretty much it's sort everything out, organise all your, basically you, you've, Get, get it, sort out your own food and, and get your own car, all that sort of stuff. Whereas here, it's from the moment you get to the airport, it's basically they've got cars for you. There's a mass, massive player area, all the physios, there's a gym set up. There's basically everything that you need to, I guess, get the best out of yourself is here. So um, so that's good. But there's also the other add-ons. You've got, in a normal event, you're there yourself and doing doing your own thing, whereas here you've got a lot of, a lot of friends and and contacts that are here that's sort of enjoying it. So it's, there is there's also those extra, I guess, bit of extra added noise noise around. And you've got your family with you, I believe, your wife and your young son. No, unfortunately, well, fortunately, my wife's six months pregnant, so that's an exciting time for us. Yeah, but just a bit of a bit bit too long a trip, and and also with. With a Jacks three, so it's as much as I'd love them to be here. It's probably uh, getting getting used to all the jet lag and all those things is sort of a bit of a <clears throat> bit of a hurdle. So uh, he's he's not here. So I'll I'll have to I'll have to get in another another one uh, another few to, to be able to get them over to to experience it. Absolutely, Maddie. Uh, I've had this discussion with a few pros over the years: the Masters or the Open. Which is the one you'd rather win if you only could get one? Uh, well, I'd happily take either, but it probably hmm. uh, I think a, an open at St Andrews is probably probably top of the list, and then and then probably outside of that, probably maybe the Masters just just shades it. But um, look, open at St Andrews is definitely it's uh, it's the jewel in the crown, that's for sure. Do you get together with the other Aussies? You're one of eleven who are contending. Um, you know this year's championship. Is it a is there, is there a cohort amongst you guys? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Most of the guys are trying to play practice rounds together. So, I played on Sunday. Played with uh, Anthony Quayle and uh, Ben Ben Campbell, uh, and then Mark Leishman and myself uh, both used Dennis McDavis as a coach. So we we played yes yesterday, and and we're we're heading out later later today to to play a few holes. So and it, you you sort of see um, all the. I just ran into Ian Baker Finch in the in the lobby and uh, Cam Smith and Adam Scott. Those guys. So it's always nice to. Nice to see them, and you, 
I mean, you, if you can't get the job done this week, you hope that it's one of the other other Aussie contingent that can uh, get over the line. What's it like in the locker room there, Matty? I'm just wondering whether the the whole uh, Greg Norman series is dominating the conversation, and particular down here, there's been a lot of coverage of Greg not being invited. Um, what did you make of all that, and is there a lot of discussion about that? Uh, a little bit, but I guess the great thing with with an open is that it's over overshadowing that. I know up in Japan when at the regular tour events, it's a the dinner talk is a lot about the live golf stuff. But uh, you do you do notice that the the live golf players tend to be playing with live golf players, but that's not exclusive. There's some players playing with mixing around, but yeah, everyone's really here just focused on. Thankfully, focused on just the on the Open Championship, and I'm sure that uh, that talk will probably heat up once once uh, Monday comes around again. And if you were a betting man, apart from putting money on yourself, Maddie, and apart from the obvious ones, who else do you think is is uh, has got a great game at the moment and in you know really putting themselves in contention? Uh, I, I think with with the way the course is running so firm and fast, the guys that really get it out there are, have got a bit of an advantage because they're they're going to get access to. Hitting it pretty close to a lot of greens, so hard. Um, he is an obvious one, but hard to go past a guy like Rory. But even a smoke, Anthony Quayle's been playing really well this year. I've played a lot with him up in Japan and uh, playing practice rounds with him. His his game's in good shape. So uh, if he can, if he gets his driver going straight, he he could uh, be a bit of a, a surprise. Well, Maddie, we wish you naturally all the very best. It's uh, just such a wonderful four days for everyone who loves golf and even those who love sport to sit down and you know turn on the tally for us late at night or the early hours of the morning of course and uh and watch you guys in action but we wish you all the very best and to the rest of the aussies contending this year's 150th open championship thanks hope we all can uh, put on a good show for you at home yeah and uh, who knows we might be talking to you again next week that would be nice <laughs> thank you there maddie griffin and one of as i said one of 11 Aussies who are teeing up this Thursday. And coming up next, we've got our cherry pick for this week, who is Australian Test all-rounder Tali McGrath. Welcome back. And this week's cherry pick guest is Australian cricket all-rounder Talia McGrath, who's brilliant with both the bat and ball naturally, but she's also pretty handy with the golf club. Welcome, Talia. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on board. And we did have a we did have Alyssa Healy, obviously one of your teammates on board um, earlier in the year, talking about you know her cricket game and and her love of uh, of golf and uh, and a bit of a rivalry within her family. Um, but how did you come to develop a, a passion for the game of golf? Well, first off, I refuse to play with Midge. Her golf is <laughs> way too good for mine. So whenever we're on tour and she organises golf day, I do not participate with her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm just a sports lover. I um, give every sport a go and I suppose cricket and golf sort of correlate a little bit and um, can be quite relaxing and quite a good way to switch off when you're um, in the middle of a cricket tour or something. So I'm my golf game is more probably um, social, a bit of Ambrose, get some friends. Um, and then I also am a bit notorious for um, a bit of anger management when I play golf as well. So, um, yeah, I'm not the best, but it's good fun. Have you ever thrown a soon. club? I have. I've thrown a club, but hit a pole, snapped it in half. That's the last time I threw a club. So, um, yeah. <laughs> this is not good to hear, Tiff. Um, no. So the club went further than the ball, right? 
Yeah, and it was actually my dad's clubs I was using. So oh, I had no. to go home and tell him I'd snapped his club um, and then had to cop paying for it and to get it fixed. So, yeah, that's the last club I have thrown and I've, I've reined it in since then. Well, you've learned. I mean, I was telling Tiff the other week that I threw one into a lake once and it was a brand-new club. I didn't mean to throw it in the lake. I meant to throw it and it tipped over and over and over. I threw sure, it so Blakey. High. So I had to get my dax off in front of my playing partners <laughs> and get in the lake and get it out of There's there. There's payback. So. That's what happens. <laughs> hey, how's it? Has it helped you, your, your uh, cricket game at all? Like, is there, is there some kind of benefit you get out of it, you know, apart from just the social part, um, you know, both mentally and physically? Um, I think it has from a sense of, yeah, when you're stuck in tour and it can be a bit monotonous and um, trying to get a, a good escape, it's it's really good to get away a, a day on the golf course. Um, uh, and then lots of people have said to me that I come across as the most cool, calm, collective person on the cricket field, but then on a, when I'm on the golf course, I'm a completely different person. So when that's been pointed out to me, I sort of try and correlate the two and use some of my cricket techniques on the golf course to calm myself down and... <laughs> and get the best out of myself. So it's good to relax and, yeah, it's good to sort of um, help me from the mental side of you. With uh, I'm someone that does a lot of breathe, breathing techniques, visualisation, so um, trying to sort of correlate the two as well. Hey, well, it's great to know that, you know, the game of golf can help bring the ashes uh, to Australia, of course. Um, <laughs> so tell us about your, your your cricket career. How You know, you've, you've been embedded in the Australian team for the last couple of years. I know like all young cricketers, when you're first trying to get into the game, it's sort of you're in, then you're out, and it's, there's that inconsistency. Um, tell us about how you sort of started in the game and, you know, and, and where you are at now. Yeah, I started um, as a kid watching on TV, um, idolised Glenn McGrath, sharing the same surname, <laughs> um, went out in the backyard, wanted to copy him, went through traditional sort of pathway, playing backyard, playing at school with friends, joined a club, went through the South Australian pathway. Um, yeah, I got a good taste of international cricket when I, I think I debuted when I was 21. Mm. And from there, it was a bit rocky. I was in and out of the side. I had a few injuries. Um, and I think over the space of five years, I played about five games and it wasn't until probably 18 months ago that I really cemented my spot in the squad. Um, and from there, I've just been absolutely loving my cricket, um, loving contributing to, um, the team's success. And, um, there's been some real highlights with Ashes, World Cups, um, leading into a Com Games now. So it's pretty cool. The opportunities um, that cricket's led to, the experiences I've had, and and even the friendships I've made along the way. So I count myself pretty lucky. Part of your rise has been you've uh, you've been able to tap into one of the greatest players of all time, not just within Australia, but in the in the game of cricket. In uh, Belinda Clark as your mentor, can you tell us how? that's really helped your game and and I suppose the synergies of that with golf and that we're really looking you know we're really growing the game of women and girls in golf and you don't have to be a high performance to be a mentor but um, we're really encouraging women who are you know who are uh, members on at clubs to to put their hand out and to welcome women onto the course and young girls onto the course and, and help them transition. Yeah, she's been massive for me and um, in terms of mentors, they don't get much better than Belinda Clark and um, she's straight to the point every time we chat. She's um, She grills me, she gets me out of my comfort zone um, and just the confidence I've had not only on-field but off-field in my leadership space, um, the way I carry myself is has been massive. So, um, yeah, the work I've been been doing with her is, is amazing and um, 
yeah, hopefully it's something that I can keep in touch and, and keep chatting with her because just in terms of, yeah, women in, in leadership and powerful positions is something that she's really passionate about um, and hopefully we can see more of that in the future as well. Talia, I had forgotten that golf, uh, sorry, cricket is in the Commonwealth Games and that's not so far away, is it? So what's that going to be like? Um, yeah, I cannot believe that I'm going to a Commonwealth Games. It's it's crazy the fact that that crickets, women's crickets, in there now. So um, I don't know. I suppose all these years, whenever the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics on, you watch and you're in awe of it. Um, and yeah, now the fact that that crickets are part of it. Um, and I suppose I'm going there with with Team Australia. I've got swimmers. I've got um, mm. athletics, beach volleyballers. Technically on my team. It's um, I'm I'm really looking forward to the whole experience. It's going to be a bit unknown. Um, but I can't wait just to soak it all up and, and yeah, really experience it. Um, from your perspective, did you find that um, being able to choose cricket as a career was something that was just quite natural for you or was it something that only sort of came to you a little bit later in, uh, you know, as a, maybe as, a, as an older teenager um, as women's sports started to really pick up momentum? Yeah, like I said, I was a sports mad kid and growing up soccer was my main passion. I always wanted to play for the Matildas. Um, and yeah, I literally just tried every sport possible and loved them all. Um, but I suppose the difference between now and then is when I was a kid, there wasn't really a clear pathway. I didn't really know. Um, I didn't really know women's cricket was really a thing. I didn't know mm. there was clubs for girls. I didn't know there were state programs. Um, there wasn't as much exposure with games on TV. So I suppose, yeah, the, the most exciting thing now is names like Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, household names. Um, the fact that young girls now can watch us play on TV and there's a really clear pathway for them to uh, not only in cricket but um, in, in girls and women's sport in general, there's so much more opportunity now and um, it's really exciting to see how far the women's game has come and, and, and where it's going to go in the future. And that leads perfectly into my next question where, you know, we're looking to, again, really grow the game of golf and that whole, you, 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 to be, you know, you want to see what you, what you can be and you just touched on it then um, for our high-performance girls and I'd mentioned Minji and Hannah, um, you know, and there's Suo and there's Steph Kyrgios and uh, um, there's Kyriakas, not Kyrgios, um, and, you know, and, and a host of others who are coming through the ranks. Um, question to you is how what do you think golf could learn from a sport like cricket um you know that's really providing provided those pathways um and over the last sort of probably 10 years has done a brilliant job in you know building young girls into the elite high performance yeah that's a really good question um and I think that one thing that cricket's done really well is we've invested a lot of time into the grassroots program so investing it into those young girls in in girls only clinics for cricket um pumping a lot of resources into um, female club cricket, which we might not have done in the past. So basically just getting as much exposure as possible, getting the word out there, whether that's, you know, ads on TV, getting it in, just getting it out there as much as possible. Because like I said, when I was a kid, I had no idea what was out there. And I was just a sports mad kid that wanted to try everything. So um, yeah, the more come and try days, the more clinics, the more you can get it out there. I think um, just get girls involved in the sport really. It's really interesting that you say that, Talia. Did, and when you first started cricket, um, how did you break through that wall and did you feel comfortable straight away? Well, the yeah, I was I, playing... The reason I ask is because, you know, a lot of a lot of young girls and women who come to the, the sport of golf 
um, say they feel intimidated. That's a word mm. that comes up a lot. And uh, it's something that we have to break down. I'm just wondering how, how, whether cricket has managed that, you know, or it did manage it when you started. Yeah, when I started, it was primary school and I was playing with, um, I was the only girl playing in a boys' team. And there was, um, it, was it was, yeah, it was a little bit intimidating. Um, I really enjoyed it and loved it, but yeah, didn't really know where I could go from there. And um, it wasn't until I found out from a friend that there was a girls' club. Um, that I went and joined. Um, so, yeah, there's certainly some some intimidation around it um, and a lot of unknowns as to what's out there. So, um, yeah, I would have loved to have given mm. golf a go when I was a kid and I love getting into golf now. So I'm sure <laughs> as soon as I'm done with cricket, I'll be straight on the golf clubs, not snapping them, not snapping <laughs> clubs in anger, but, but yeah. Hey, what's your handicap? And uh, first of all, have you, have you got one? I don't have one. I'm too scared to get one because I don't play often enough. And, um, yeah, every time I play, it just is social and Ambrose. So that's been something I've been wanting to do for a while is get a, get a handicap. So that can be, yeah, that can be a goal for 2023. Um, yeah. and, and just from your perspective, have you noticed an increase in, uh, in the promotion of golf and especially women's golf, you know, with sort of, I suppose, with Minji and Hannah and, and, and others across the board? Has it been something that's, um, you know, that you've probably sat back and thought, oh, yeah, I'm seeing more of this than I have previously? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from my point of view, it's on TV a lot more. You hear a lot more about it in the news. Um, and then even little things like, I mean, I'm a very social golfer, but rocking up to a golf club, it's always sort of your stereotypical or the, the male dominated on the golf course, whereas now you're seeing more and more um, girls and females there. I always go and play with, there's a crew here in Adelaide. I play with uh, three others and we go, yeah, two on two. Ambrose go around to different golf clubs. But, um, yeah, seeing how there's so much more um, females on the golf course and seeing how when we're there, people are sort of like, oh, shot and lies. <laughs> Um, getting around us it's been really cool so um, I think it's yeah there's so much more exposure and um, yeah I never used to watch golf on tv whereas now I'll chuck it on and give it a watch so it's yeah it's cool to see where it's going yeah that's great to hear and slightly different from the previous question but if there was something that you would love to see golf do what would it be well that's a good question I don't know maybe it's a bit rogue, but maybe something because I love the Ambrose, maybe something like that. Some, uh, I don't even know if they do it, like some celebrity tournaments where you come in and play a bit of Ambrose, make it pretty fun. Um, yep. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Well, that's good to hear because we're we're working on it. So okay. brilliant. So watch this. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hey, also just wanted to um to talk about your mum. I know we spoke about Belinda as a mentor, but um your mum's had some health challenges, and and you know I read a beautiful story about um about your mum and you and how that's really inspired your cricket career can you just give us a little bit of a backstory and 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 how that sort of helped you you know become the person you are today as well as obviously the cricketer you are yeah so mum was diagnosed with breast cancer January last year and it sort of um was the toughest year of my life personally but on the flip side it was also the best year of my professional career cricket wise so I think for me as hard as it was off field it just gave me a real perspective as to why was I getting so caught up in losing a game of cricket or getting a duck um, when there's so much bigger things in life 
Um, so for me, that was really important on just the whole outlook on things and how I approach things in general. So um, really lucky that mum's doing doing well now and I sort of every time she's at my game, never take that for granted and, and just little things like that. So, um, yeah, for me it was about just the whole outlook on things and just stripping my cricket right back to basics and getting going back to the enjoyment out of it because, yeah, like I said, there's, there's so much bigger things in life that um, you just sort of never know what's around the corner. Yeah, and that's a great lesson to take. We're we're all about making sure that when people play the game of golf, they you know fundamentally they have fun. That's the most important part of it, and and it is a game, and uh, and life's there to be enjoyed. We really appreciate your time, Talia. Thank you so much for sharing, obviously, some intimate um, components of your own story, and and we hope that we'll uh, we'll see more of you out on the golf course. And as I said, stay tuned because we'll certainly be uh, the phone will be ringing as we get you hopefully involved in some of our events coming up. But all the best, obviously, for the uh, for the year ahead and, and Commonwealth Games. It's pretty exciting times. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up next, all the news from around the traps. That's after this. Welcome back, and it's now time for all the news from around the traps. And Blakey, obviously, we've got there all our eyes on uh, on the Open over in Scotland, but some local news as well. And this is fairly local. We've got a, a, one of our top players who's put his hand in his pocket and he's giving back, which is just helping, obviously, the next generation of golfers to come through. Yeah, this happened a few few days ago, Tiff, but I just wanted to catch up with this because I think it's pretty significant. Lucas Herbert's given back what I believe is a six-figure sum to. It goes via the Australian Golf Foundation and then Golf Australia can access that money for their high-performance program. So the way it works, give back, it, it started in 2015. Um any player who comes through the high-performance programs uh, is required to sign an agreement that they'll give a portion of their earnings back via the high-performance system to help, I guess, future-proof Australian top-level golf. And they have to be at a certain – is it top 20 for the men and top 50 for the women, thereabouts? It's top 125 oh. for men yep. and top 50 for women. Yep. So they don't. we don't take money – from them if they if they don't have any success it, it's it's for players who've had a lot of success they've been funded all the way through their amateur program and even in some of the early years of their professional careers uh, so Lucas has given back Minji Lee gave back last year she was the first the reason there's been a delay is because they do, they're not required to do it in their first five years as right. a pro so we protect them in that way the players are really good about this and we spoke to Lucas about this last week and uh, you know he was he was extremely good we might even have a listen to Lucas Herbert in a moment about about this it's a good initiative that Golf Australia started back there and uh, I think it was 2015 we sort of first got um made aware of what was happening with the with the give back scheme so yeah I just, I just think it's a good thing I think personally I, I've enjoyed the fact that I feel like I have some control over um, helping some of these kids coming through because been fortunate enough in in Orlando where I've sort of set up a base over in America is you know with the GA house I, I see a lot of the the I say kids but they're all probably my age really um, the guys coming through guys and girls coming through that are playing mini tour events or Q schools or, um, you know, those Epsom tours or the Corn Ferry tours, that sort of thing. You sort of see them coming through and you, you want to help them, but you don't really know how sometimes because you don't want to stand on other people's toes or, you know, get in the way of coaching and that sort of stuff. So um, it's good to sort of to follow their journey through and, and see where everyone needs the, the most help and then, you know, feel like I can help in some sort of way. 
Isn't it so refreshing, Blakey, to hear those words of a, I mean, a high-level athlete who's thinking about others and, uh, you know, and he's, yeah, he's, he's wanting to, to give back to the system. I love it, Tiff. It's, it's a world first, that, that program or that initiative, uh, Give Back. And, you know, Lucas, is, is a, he's gold. You know, I, I hope he goes well in the Open Championship this week because, uh, you know, he's just – he gets it. I remember, yeah. I remember when he won last year and the question was, of course, put, you know, you've just won whatever it was, a significant amount. What are you going to do with it? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I think my mum needs a new car. Yeah. Do you remember that? He actually – he said to us last week that he's, he's – you know, he was asked about – Greg Norman's uh, Rebel Tour, and he said, well, I'm, I get paid really well where I am now. You know, I want to play in majors. I want to play in the President's Cup. That's um, what so motivates him. Well, why, why would I need to do that? So, yeah, uh, fantastic work by Lucas Herbert. Yeah, and now there's some great news. So many players coming out of Western Australia. But here's another name to add to the list. Yeah, tied fourth here in Avid in the Twin Bridges Championship on the Epson Tour. For those people who don't know, the Epson Tour is the secondary tour in the States. The top 10 players on the money list through the year uh, get automatic entry to the LPGA, which is the main tour uh, for the following season. So, Where's she sitting now? Here in Avid. 14th, I think. Yeah. Right down here. Yeah. That's, her be- that's her best result. So here in Avid was an excellent amateur coming out of Perth. She went to Pepperdine University in the States, so we haven't seen her for a while. That's the same university that... Um, Catherine Kirk went to. Um, so, yeah, it's been a good year on the Epson Tour. We've got a number of players out there, and Grace Kim was in contention in that event as well. She ended up fading on the final day, but she finished tied 17th. And Grace is number three on the money list. Sarah Jane Smith is at number 15. Gabby Ruffles at 16, and Robin Choi's at 19. So we've got a number of live chances there for that uh, top 10 situation going to, to get a card on the LPGA for next year. Absolutely brilliant. And then we're, how many have we currently got on the LPGA, the women? I think there's four or five. Uh, you have uh, Minji Lee, uh, Hannah Green, Sarah Kemp, Catherine Kirk. Steph Kiriakou. Steph Kiriakou. That's So, five. you know, we've got a, a pretty good representation. Mm. So, yeah. Um, a bit of club news, uh, Tiff. The Grange in Adelaide won the Sanderson Cup, which is their pennant competition. They defeated Glenelg in the final. And I'm going to shout out to Emily Smith, the captain, a former, you know, a Melbourneian who yeah. played who played a golf over here, now playing at the Grange, and I believe coming back to Melbourne soon to live because her partner is Matt Chesterman, who we spoke to on this program a couple of weeks ago. They've won six out of the last seven, the Grange. Fantastic track over there in the Adelaide sandbelt. Kuyonga won the Simpson Cup. Beat Royal Adelaide. The Simpson Cup is the men's pennant competition, Adelaide. And Heath Richards, the captain of Kiyonga, was unbeaten all season, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I love that. More club news. Mary, I, I, I love this story. This is out of Inside Golf today. Uh, Mary Haddon, who plays at Maruchi River, told her friends last month she's done with golf. She's 101 years old. 101. That is phenomenal. So she's done. She's not going to... Drive she around in a cart at 101. It, uh, golf is unique. That's isn't it? just brilliant. That's what I love about it. I mean, from the moment you walk to the moment, I suppose you almost can't walk. So from, you know, what two and a half to 101, you can play this game. Unbelievable. And uh, another shout out to Jenny McRae, Horsham Golf Club, which is an outstanding country course in the Wimmera in Victoria, Western Victoria. Jenny McRae just won her 24th club championship. Can you imagine winning 24 club championships in any sport? 
That's it's unbelievable. Yeah, that. Congratulations. I, I noticed that also in inside golf. And a shout-out to the clubs of New South Wales who are suffering in the climate change and the weather, weather conditions at the moment. I, I spoke to someone here at the office the other day who had been talking to the pro at Bankstown Golf Club in southwestern Sydney and uh, – they're underwater. They were underwater for the third time. They're just picking up their check uh, via Golf New South Wales. There was a, some money raised by the government and Golf New South Wales to help out the, some of these clubs who've had a, a dreadful last 12 months. And just on that, if you're interested in understanding where Australian golf is headed from an environmental perspective and sustainability, you mentioned Matt Chesterman. We had him on the show a couple of weeks back with Dr. Sheila Nguyen talking about that. So uh, you can check out on the website of golf.org.au for GC2030. And and while you're on the website, make sure you keep an eye out for Australian golf writer Dane Heverin, whose coverage will be across all of the four days on golf.org.au and also the pga.org.au. And before we go, a quick uh, reminder that we've got our visionary of the year. There's three more nominations to come. So before we choose our winner, so if you think there's a club, um, your own club or a club that you know of that's doing some great work in uh, the gender equality space, then again, put your nominations in. You can find all the information on golf.org.au. And that's the end of the show. We'll be back again next week, hopefully with the winner of the 150th Open. Thanks, Tiff. It's going to be a few late nights this week. Can't wait.